0: Gallup did a poll about three years ago talking to people around the country and asking them the question, do you believe in God? What was interesting was it depended on how they asked the question. So they had three different ways of phrasing the question, and it turned out people's belief in God varied between about 55% and 87%, depending on the, the exact phrasing of the question and the way that it was phrased. But other organizations have asked similar questions, but one of the questions that comes at the end of it is, When we say, do you believe in God, or are you to ask someone on the streets, do you believe in God, the question is, what do you mean by God? Who do you mean by God? Because people have different ideas of who they mean by God and who God is. For some, it's an abstract thing, but it may be multiple gods, it may be the God of the Bible, different ways of thinking about who God is. And so we want to think about that today in our message. We've started a series on the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed... So we talked a little bit about last week is this ancient way, started in the earliest church, of kind of formulating the basics of what we believe as followers of Jesus. Doesn't tell us everything that we believe, but it kind of summarizes in some ways we can think of it as providing guide rails around what it is that we believe. And now some might think, well, we've got the Bible. What do we need a creed for? Well, you think, well, we've got the Bible. We just believe that, Right. Well, if you were to go down the streets and go into different churches all using the Bible, do they all believe the same thing? Or you could find groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, who we call cults, who also say, we read the Bible and have very different ideas of what it is. So the Apostles' Creed sets up these guide rails. And so we're going to go through this series through the summer looking at what are the fundamentals of what we believe? What are these things that we agree on? Because when we confess the Apostles' Creed, which we'll do later in the service, we're saying words and we're joining with churches. And so we're joining with the Lutheran church down the street and the Baptist church and the Episcopal church and other churches all around the country and saying, these are the central things that we hold in common. We may disagree over manner of baptism and what communion is about and maybe even the role of women in church and things like that. But at the core of it, there are these core ideas of what we believe and the first one we're going to talk about is we believe in god the father almighty and what exactly does that mean and who are we talking about so first of all this language of i believe in we believe lots of things Someone to tell you it's like well i was driving down the road the other day and there were 30 turkeys got in my way so well, i believe that or if someone were telling you say i mean i've took courses in school and they talked about atoms and said, well, a water molecule is two hydrogen, one oxygen bonded together. Well, I believe the teacher. I don't know. I've never seen it, but I believe that. But believing something is true is different than believing in something or in someone. So even if someone were to tell you they saw some turkeys, you say, well, I believe that. But that's different than saying I believe in someone. And so when we say I believe in God, You're saying I commit myself to. Belief involves hope and trust. So when we say I believe in God, the Father Almighty, it's this idea of it's hope and it's trust. And so what the opening words of the creed set up is, who is this God and He's the Father Almighty? Two parts. We're going to look at them separately and then a little bit together. And so first of all, we say I believe in God, the Father. And so even just in that one word, tells us a whole lot one of the things that that introduces to us is the idea that if there's a father there's more and we talk about it in church as the trinity god the father son and holy spirit and if you're familiar with the creed or if you want it's in the same insert that we have the songs on it has kind of three parts there's the first part i believe in god the father almighty and then in and in jesus christ his only son our lord and i believe in the holy spirit Those are the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we could do an entire Sunday talking about the Trinity and trying to explain it. And I'm not going to do that today. One of the things we can say about the Trinity is that it's really hard to understand. And oftentimes, really, what we can say about the Trinity is we can say a lot more about what the Trinity is not than what the Trinity is. But fundamentally, what we're talking about is one God, three persons, all fully God, all fully equal. You hold those in tension. There's one God, three persons, all fully God, all fully equal. And the key to believing in the biblical picture of God is believing all three of those things. Now, how those can all happen at the same time, I don't really know. One of my professors in seminary said it something like this. He said, If you don't believe in the Trinity, you lose your soul. But if you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. Because it's just the way... It's like, well, one God, three persons. Because then we start shifting and, well, then it's three parts. There's not three parts, but three persons. And so this idea, one God, three persons, all fully equal, all fully God. And we keep those all in tension. So the creed starts off with saying that and by its structure saying, the God we're talking about when we confess the creed Is a God who is triune, who is trinity. We sang it today, that great hymn, Holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed trinity. We declare that and say, God is trinity. But then we say, God is Father. Now, by saying God is Father, are we saying God is male? No, we're not saying God is male. This picture of Father is a language used throughout the Scripture, and it's really this nature of Father is about relationships. So Gregory... Um, Nazianzus said it this way Yeah, that's a big one Nazianza, sorry Father designates neither the substance Nor the activity But the relationship The manner of being Which holds good Between the Father and the Son Designates neither the substance Nor the activity But the relationship So when we talk about God as Father We're talking about a relationship It's language used in the Old Testament It's language that speaks to God who Creates and adopts His people. Who calls His people their sons and heirs. God the Father in the Old Testament disciplines His children. And we see it here in Jesus. Jesus uses it frequently where He refers to God as Father, but then invites us to do the same. And so we looked at this passage here in Matthew 6, where Jesus has gathered His disciples and He's teaching them to pray. And He says, this is how you address God. This is how you address, you say, our Father. Father. And so it's this language of who He is and who is His Father. He's the one who gives us daily bread, who forgives us, who leads us not, who changes us, who transforms us. And again and again, that's the language that Jesus uses. He says, in the same way that I call God Father, He invites us to call God Father. So it's an invitation into a relational God. And so when we say, I believe in God, the Father... We're saying the God that we worship is not some abstract being, it's not the force, it's not an impersonal power, but instead it is a relational God who invites us into relationship with Him. And So that's the beginning of the picture, but then it says it's not just Father, but Almighty. And so these are language again used throughout the Scripture. Going back to our earlier song, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And that language comes from this picture in Isaiah chapter 6. And so if we were to go to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet comes into the throne room of God. And he sees the Lord God Almighty high and lifted up, seated on a throne. And there are these cherubim and seraphim, these Fantastic creatures flying around with coals and wings and eyes all over the place. And they come and they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of His glory. Or in the book of Revelation, that same description is used of God as the saints gathered around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's this incredible picture of who God is. When we say Almighty, we're talking about what God is able to do. And if God is almighty, what do you think God can do? Everything. Anything. Everything. I remember when I was in, growing up, a couple of stories, we, vacation Bible school, we, there was one song we used to sing, it was like, God can do anything, God can do anything but fail. And this was just this little chorus. And then there were also the wise alec little seven and eight year old boys who may have asked questions like, well, if God can do anything... And you know how those kind of conversations go. It's like, well, can he make a rock too heavy for him to lift? It's like, oh, come on. And I think I remember the look of exasperation on my Sunday school teacher's face <laughs> when I asked such a question. <laughs> but that's not the way. When we say God can do anything, God can do anything within his power because those are just meaningless words. We like to play the word games. But what we're saying, God can do anything that he wills and that's within his thing. The Bible tells us there's certain things that God can't do, it says God can't lie. Because that's against God's nature. God can't make a square triangle. God can't make four equal two. Because those are not, but God can do whatever he wants to do. There's another song, and I, I like linking some of the things we're doing to some of the songs. We learned a new song about a month or so ago called You Cannot Be Stopped. And it's this great picture of God will do what God wants to do. And so for the people of the Old Testament, the people of God, when they were looking around and looking at the nations raging against them and the powers of Assyria or the powers of Babylon, they wanted to be reminded that their God was the God Almighty, that their God was in control and they didn't have to worry about it. And so in this psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 89, it starts off with, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known. Then it says, who is like you, Lord Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. And it goes on. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. You still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm you scattered your enemy. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the earth and all that is. And so it's this picture of when we're facing challenges and trials, when things are going on all around us, it's saying... That the one we're talking about, the God we worship, is the God Almighty. The God who can't be stopped. That these things do not stand His way. That you rule over the surging seas and you crush Rahab. There's this great picture of who God is. And that what can God do? He can give us peace. He can give us hope. He can save us. He can give us peace and joy in the midst of things. Or, as Jesus taught us, what? He can give us our daily bread. He can forgive us. He can lead us in the right places. He can help us to overcome the evil one. This is who we're talking about. So when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, when we say, I believe in God the Almighty, we're believing that God can do what He wants. And the thing about that is when we say God is the Almighty, something I hadn't thought of until earlier this week as I was reading was, if God is Almighty, that means we can trust in Him. Because if someone doesn't have complete power, if... They're unpredictable. We don't trust them a whole lot. So generally we think of our power company fairly trustworthy, but sometimes do we have power all the time? No. Sometimes our power goes down. Or perhaps a better example, politicians. Now you may have heard a politician or two when they're getting ready to run for office promise you and tell you about all the things that she or he will do if elected. How many of them accomplish all of those things once elected? None, right? And there are several reasons for that. One is they may have just been lying to you. But two, the other thing is they can't just do all those things on their own, right? Someone can run for president and promise that they're going to bring prices down and everybody's going to have a job and there won't be any more wars. But can they control all of those things? No, they can't control all of those things. And so in some sense, when we say, well, I don't trust politicians, we're right to because when they tell us things, they can't guarantee all those things will happen. But that's different because when we say we worship the God Almighty, when God says He will do something, that's what He does. When in Psalm 89, it starts off, He says, I will sing of the Lord's great love and I will make your faithfulness known. What's faithfulness? Faithfulness is God makes a promise. God keeps a promise. I would guess most of us have at times made a promise and not kept that promise. We do our best. Sometimes we make a promise and we just forget about it. Sometimes we make a promise and then something gets in the way. I promise I'll be there, and on the way there, we have three flat tires and our engine blows, and we don't make it. But if God says he will be there, flat tires and blowing engines aren't going to stop him. When God says, I will be with you, nothing's going to stop him. When he says, I will love you, when he says, I will forgive you, none of those things are going, nothing is going to get in the way. So when we say that God is almighty, there is nothing that can stop him. But now we might start to think, wait a minute. Oops. Wrong one. Sorry. But we balance it out because we say God is not only almighty but he is also father. And so when we think about that See, those balance out because what do we want? Power, absolute power in the hands of someone who doesn't love us. No. And so when we say God is Father and He's Almighty, we're putting those two things together, and that's why it's so important we think about those two things together. And so when Jesus says we pray to our Father in heaven, and we come to Him and pray because we trust, one, that He has the power to answer those prayers, And two, that He's going to be loving and good with the answers that He gives to us. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty. This is what we mean when we say it. We're saying that this God we worship is a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is also a Father who loves His children and invites us to be His. That His power can't be thwarted or stopped. He can save us, He can help us. And He's inviting us to put our trust in Him. So, I want you to think about those things this week. If you were to think, someone would say, well, well, do you believe in God? You think, well, what do I mean when I say I believe in God? We have this language, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Or even if you're talking to someone else, and they say, well, I believe in God, it might be an invitation to say, tell me more about who this God is you believe in or what this God is like. And sometimes it's an opportunity for us to share who our God is and the God that we depend on and trust in. And so it's this great picture, I think, in the creed of who it is we're talking about. And so as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're thinking of, He's God, the Father Almighty. And then we see in each part of the creed in some sense, how God displays His power and what that power looks like. Because that's the thing about God's power is that it takes many different shapes and forms. And that is not just a power He uses, that we think of how God uses His power. And what's the ultimate picture of God's power? The cross. And so this is what God's power is and what it's shaped like. So this week, as you're thinking about what you need and what's going on in your life, it would remind us that we worship who is a, a God who is the Father Almighty. Maybe this week what you need is you need to be reminded that God is your Father, that He loves you and cares for you and longs for a relationship with you, or you may need to be reminded that God is God Almighty. That there's something that's in your life, there's some obstacle in your life, there's some challenge that you're facing, there's something going on inside of you or some relationship and you're wondering, I don't know what I can do about this. And we give it over to God and recognize that God is almighty and that He cannot be stopped. His will cannot be thwarted. And so we turn it to Him. Let's close in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank You that you are the one true God, that you are the one we call Father Almighty, that we can turn to you in times of trouble and that you cannot be stopped. God, help us and change us so that when we say, I believe, that it's something that we truly believe with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, that we put our trust in you, that we don't simply say it as words, but we feel it and we live it out inside of who we are, that we believe in you as the Father Almighty. Amen.